Welcome back to the reading and podcast today by Andrew Varga, author of the novel The Last Saxon King, a jump in time novel. Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you very much for having me here. Absolutely. Well, if someone hasn't yet heard about your new novel, The Last Saxon King, how would you describe the novel? Um, it's a young adult historical fiction where I take a modern day teenager and I throw him back into 1066 England. And the only way he can get back home is by fixing a glitch in time that threatens to alter history. Do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write The Last Saxon King? Oh, yeah. Um, it happened about 12 years ago. I was driving home uh, from Myrtle Beach with my family, and they're, of course, asleep in the car and not helping me do the drive at all. And I had already been working on a book at the time, and it wasn't going anywhere. So I was thinking, I really need to try something different. And my kids had been reading a lot of books, and they would always come up to me. They know I'm a history geek, and they would say, hey, Dad, try this book, try this book. And I would read it, and the history in those young adult middle grade books just wasn't great. The stories were entertaining, but the actual accuracy of the history was not, not the best. And I really, really love history. And so I started thinking, if this is what's out there, maybe there's a market for actual history books in the young adult middle grade audience that show real history. And then I'm, as I'm driving along, it's quite a long drive from Myrtle Beach to uh, where I live. I, I started kind of fleshing out the idea. And I thought if I made it time travel, then I could have a modern day teen have all this kind of culture shock as he arrives in this past time. And it would be more relatable to modern readers as well. And by making it time travel, I could make it a series and pick different snippets in time that I thought were really interesting. So that's kind of the the origin of where this book originally started from. I, I originally, I ended up deciding on 1066 as the first time, just because it is a really, like it's, it's a major turning point in English history. If um, 1066 didn't happen, we'd all be speaking a completely different language. Well, we'd be speaking a variation of old English right now, and we'd probably sound more like Icelanders. Not, not to mention that it changed kind of English politics. It got them heavily involved in France, and there was the Hundred Years' War that kind of was an extension of all that. So it was such a great point in history that affected every English-speaking person that I thought, hey, this would be a great place to start a series. What was your writing journey from that initial idea, I think you said 12 years ago, that um, what was your writing journey that led you to writing and finally getting this novel published? Well, yeah, that's been quite the journey. Um, the book was actually the easy part. Because I, I had this great idea that I just loved. And the characters started kind of forming as I'm writing them. I'm, um, from a writing perspective, I'm a pantser, not a plotter. So, um, meaning I don't pre-plot every little chapter and point. 
I just start writing and the, the pen leads me where it wants to go. And so all these characters started forming all these ideas and getting the book out only took me about a year. And I have a writing group that I belong to. They enjoyed the series or the book. They liked my chapters. They would give me their feedback. They, of course, helped me improve it. Um, but what ended up from there is the really, really long slog <laughs> of getting it published as a new author with no credentials behind me. Finding an agent was difficult. Um, and it was my first book that I actually seriously tried to get out there. So, of course, there was a lot of stuff that still needed to be fixed. Um, it needed a lot of editing and re-editing. So it, the, the hardest part was actually getting it from my, let's call it my third draft. I, I did my first draft, had my writer's group fix it up for me, did a few extra drafts, and then taking it from there and just keep fixing it, fixing it, tweaking it, tweaking it until it actually got to the point where someone would accept it. The thing is, I wasn't doing it actively. I, I wasn't diligent. I, I was more kind of a send a few queries out, get rejected, kind of get heartbroken, mm -hmm. then leave that alone for a while and continue writing the rest of the series. Like I, I enjoyed the writing process and writing the series so much sure. that I, I thought, okay, I'll just kind of trickle the queries out here and there. And if, you know, I don't get it accepted or traditionally published by the time I actually finish the series, I'll just end up doing it myself. But I ended up getting finally an agent and I got a publisher. So I don't have to go that route. And so can you tell us a little bit about, as you described it, that, you know, once you were done with, I think you said your third draft and then you were, you were continuing to tweak it and, and fix things. What, what were some of the things that you were adjusting or honing? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, as I said, I continued writing and I have been part of this writer's group for maybe even two decades now. And the type of critiques we provide each other have been getting better as we all learn to improve our writing skills. So if I'm working on book three or four and they're giving me critiques about, hey, maybe you should do this. Maybe you should try this. Maybe you should add more tension. Maybe. And the feedback they provide that might be for a particular chapter of book four also is applicable to all chapters previous to that chapter of book four. And it applies to all books as well. So if they're saying, you know what, you might want to layer a bit more character emotion in here or have a few more physical sensation or maybe describe the environment a bit more a bit so that we can sense it better. So all of these little bits of feedback that might have just applied to one chapter are valid everywhere. And so I'd go back and find, oh, you know what? This particular chapter in book one is kind of weak here. Or this character, his motivations aren't as strong as I'd hope. So it's that sort of thing that I'd uh, go back and tweak. Just, just basically taking the skeleton and fleshing it out better, making it more robust. 
Are you working on a new novel now? <laughs> so let's see. I, I'm doing edits for book three uh, because that's coming out in 2024. I got uh, my, my editor sent me back her feedback and I'm looking at that and um, doing some edits there. And I'm working on book seven as well. That's because uh, four, five, and six are already done-ish. Again, that's a very... Right. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll always go back. And as I learn more, you know, uh, everybody can learn. You, you never stop learning how to improve. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. And if this is not too much of a spoiler, are you exploring other time periods besides 1066 in some oh, of the yeah, other yeah. books? It's no secret, the time periods that I go through. The, the first book is Anglo-Saxon England in 1066. The second book, which is out in September, is called The Celtic Deception. And it happens during the Roman destruction of the Druids on the island of Anglesey in Wales, and that's roughly 60 of the Common Era. And then I actually leave England and Wales entirely, and book three, which is coming out in 2024, is called The Mongol Ascension, and it deals with the Mongols, of course. Um, book four is The Spartan Sacrifice, which deals with um, the Battle of Thermopylae, <laughs> where the Spartans and their Greek allies did their heroic but ill-fated stand against the Persian army. Book five is the Orléans Ordeal, and it deals with the raising of the siege of Orléans by Joan of Arc. And book six, Roman Betrayal, is in ancient Rome during the time of Domitian, which is around um, 88 of the Common Era. And then the last one, I had to do a complete pivot on. I was starting to write about Norway during 1115 around there. And I just couldn't get any traction on the story. So I completely pivoted it back to my original idea, which I had first 
investigated, jumped to Norway. Now I'm going back to the original idea. And that's during the Fourth Crusade. Interesting. Well, given your experience that you've described of writing these seven books and then uh, editing and re-editing the first and second one, getting them ready for publication, what writing advice would you offer for those who are writing their own stories or novels? The one thing that I find really helpful to me is letting the book just sit there. So book four right now, when, once I finally finish book three and send it off to the editor again for her to look at again, and then as it's getting ready for publishing, book four is still finished, but I'm actually going and I'm going through it all again after maybe a year on the shelf, year and a half on the shelf. And I find that the distance really helps me because I'm coming at it as a new reader again. And then I can look at it and go, oh, I as a reader don't like this section. I as a reader think the dialogue is kind of clunky here. Because when you're in the process of creation, you get really attached to everything. And I actually find that when you're just sitting there editing and re-editing and re-editing day after day, the, the prose just starts getting worse. I, I just look at it and I eventually I think, oh my God, this stuff is terrible. <laughs> no, matter, no matter how great it might be, I just think, oh my God, it's terrible. So I find that letting it just sit and be forgotten by me, I can come back and go, oh, this part actually is pretty good. And yeah, this part actually is terrible and needs fixing. I don't think a lot of authors want to hear that, though, that letting something sit for a year is a good way to handle a novel, but it works for me. Interesting. Well, what novels have you read recently that you enjoyed? Most of the books I read are history books. I, I tend not to actually read novels. Um, I, I do occasionally... Will, my wife will read a novel and say, oh, you really got to try this. Oh, you really got to try this. Um, so from her books that she threw my way, I would say the, the one book that really stands out is Where the Crawdads Sang, where the, the atmosphere, the environment is almost a character. It, it is so richly defined. I, I look at it and I think, wow, I, I wish I could write background like that. But, but also, conversely, I'm writing for a young adult audience from the first-person perspective of a 16-year-old teenage male. <laughs> so since I'm, there's no way a 16-year-old teenage male would also think of the environment sure. in this sort of ways. <laughs> what about some of the nonfiction that you've read? What, what's the best nonfiction book that you, or history book that you've read in the last year or two? Oh, one of them is called The Dark Queens by Shelley Puhak. I, I don't know if that's actually how you pronounce her last name. Uh, it, it details uh, two um, Merovingian queens, uh, Fredegund and, oh, I can't, I think Brunhilde, who they were both trying to prop up their husbands and their, their lines, their dynasty in, in um, France of like the 600s. It's a fantastic tale. Like these, these women 
who, because of the way the time was, they didn't really have any ability to rule by themselves, but they were pulling all the strings behind their husbands and allies and everything. They, it, it was like Cersei from Game of Thrones, both of them. It, it, it was a wonderful, gripping tale. Um, another book I read just recently was called The Wolf Age. Um, I can't remember the author. Oh, there it is. I'm just looking at it on myself. Shelf. It's by Torre Skei. Norwegian last name. So again, don't know if I pronounced it correctly. Mm -hmm. But it takes um, all of the Viking invasions of England and mixes it in with um, details from what was ha happening in Scandinavia at the time. Like I've read so many books that will talk about the Viking invasions of England as just this is what's happening in England. But by showing also all the different power struggles happening in Scandinavia, it kind of gives reasons why all these armies were attacking and how they were using that money that they got from England to then finance other exploits. So it, it kind of gives the other side, like takes two sides of the story and welds it all together into one huge story that, and that suddenly makes you go, aha, so that's how the big picture looked like. Interesting. Well, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your novels? Um, com is my website. And from there, I have links to my social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I'm actually relatively new to social media. <laughs> I never even had a cell phone until last March. So, uh, I'm kind of a dinosaur in that respect, but I'm trying. Well, again, we've been speaking to Andrew Varga, author of the novel, The Last Saxon King, A Jump in Time. The novel is available now, so go buy a copy. And Andrew, thanks for doing this interview. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.